Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here. And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. It's Sports Yak. At Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. And are friends really friends if you don't know them? So grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer Robert. Hey, happy to be back. Uh, I ain't never talked to no door before. What do I say to a door? <laughs> okay, see, I got that reference. There we go. <laughs> we are for SifPop.com, writing you movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. On today's show, we'll uh, talk about a coming attraction, where we'll give our thoughts on what's coming out soon. Uh, and then uh, we'll, so we'll be talking about little, the little things this week. Uh, afterwards, we'll be talking about some potential goats, talk about Rocky and Quiz Show, and we'll explore the, the B-plot, answering uh, a question, actually, that uh, was brought up on Blake's podcast, uh, the, the episode that Blake was on, not Blake's podcast, our podcast, <laughs> that, uh, that Blake happened to be on, and, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that question. But first, as always, let's get a chance to know uh, our writer this week. So, um, Robert, I, I, got, uh, I got three questions for you, as always. First one is, uh, what do you think are some of the most underrated or underseen movies of 2020? Like, probably movies that you didn't get to list in your top five. Um, or movies that you're just so like uh, movies that you really love that you didn't quite get to shine uh, or get to put a spotlight on them or like movies that you think you only know like one or two people have seen uh, yeah so of course I'm going to mention Shithouse because that's at number two of the year for me I already said it in my top five of the year I really love that one a lot the only way I was able to see it is because I paid for the rental because I think like one or two people I saw mentioned it was good and someone had it in their top five and I said hey let me check this out and I really loved it the Assistant, that's on Hulu. Don't know how many people have talked about that. I know they did it on Sifpop proper, um, but I saw it. Like It was one of the last movies I saw in theaters before everything shut down. And it's about just this young woman um, working for like a Harvey Weinstein type boss. Just basically a day in the life. Uh, it's really good. Bad Education on HBO, Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney, Boys State on Apple TV, Black Bear with Aubrey Plaza, which I know you love, or heard mm-hmm. intrigued by at least. Um, I would love it. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Then you love. The last one I'll mention real quick is Feels Good Man. I don't know how many people are really talking about this. It's a documentary about the guy who made the Pepe the Frog meme, but it's about how he was co-opted to become a hate symbol for basically the Trump party. It's a documentary about it. It's, it's really good. Um, if you watch it, it's like a puzzle piece for trying to understand a lot of things that have gone on in the last five years and that are still going on now. Yeah, it's the best documentary I saw this year and best uh, I've seen in a while. Yeah, uh, I never heard of Feels Good Man, but now I totally need to see this. So, well, uh, looking forward to this year. Uh, you know, I talked with Blake a couple weeks ago about the movies that are coming out in 2021. Barring any pushing forward in the movies, what are the ones that you're most excited for about the about the coming year? Like, what are the what are like maybe like three that you just oh. have to see? Three. Um, I listed eight. So let me <laughs> uh, give me five then. What, what five. are the five that you have to see? F- 
five that I have to see. Number one, don't look up. Um, Adam McKay, Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio. Why did I blank on his name? Timothy Chalamet, Kate, Kate Blanchett, like a million other people. Can't wait for that. Last Night in Soho, because I love Edgar Wright. The Green Knight, which is Dev Patel, an A24 movie. Uh, how about Spider-Man 3? Because I I don't like Homecoming at all. Here's my hot take for the day. One of my hot takes. I think Far From Home is the best Spider-Man movie. Best live action Spider-Man movie. I totally agree. Awesome. Oh, man, I, I totally wasn't expecting agree. that. For the last one, I guess I'll say Dune. I haven't seen the trailer because I'm reading the book. I'm in the middle of the book. But it, it was the cast and the director that intrigued me in the first place. And that led me to read the book. And then, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in for that movie. Then nice. since you since you said five, I'm also going to give a quick shout out to the Peter Jackson Beatles documentary and Kong versus Godzilla or whatever the title is. Yeah, well, go ahead. And, yeah, so that's seven. What, what's what's your what's your eighth one then? French Dispatch, but that's not dated still. It got moved from its release date in 2020, but it's Wes Anderson. So I'm into it. Cool. Yeah, I would I, I would probably if, if I'm going to pick three, I'm going to pick uh, definitely Last Night in Soho is up there uh, without remorse. Um, because I'm a big Tom Clancy person and probably Ghostbusters Afterlife. Ghostbusters. Really, really excited to see that one. Cool. Well, hey, one last question. Um, now, this is just a random question, as always, uh, but I want to know what's one passion that you have outside of movies? Uh, definitely baseball. I just actually talked about this on Shane's YouTube channel, Shane Conto, fellow writer. One of the questions he asked was, what's a movie about something else you're passionate about? And I said Moneyball because... Yeah, my first love before I was ever even into movies or stories or TV or anything like that was has always been baseball. I'm born and raised Red Sox fan. It's in my blood. Uh, even though they're making me angry beyond belief these days, I'm too invested at this point. It's been 24, almost 25 years, and I just can't get pulled away. It's a curse. I'm, I have a sickness, and I acknowledge it, but I'm not looking to, to remedy it. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I I totally forgot that you're a big baseball nut as I was coming up with this question, just because, like, obviously baseball is the other one. Like, yeah, I I answered that question with uh, Whiplash because I'm a drummer. Uh, but I'm but my passion is, I mean, I love cooking. Oh wow, I really love cooking. Um, uh, and I I worked as a cook at Buffalo Wild Wings for a while. I also got to kind of experiment a little bit in that kitchen, and that just really brought something out of me because like the only thing I had made before that was like boxed mac and cheese, mm-hmm. and then. And like Buffalo Wild Wings isn't like a great kitchen, but like I did get to experiment around with some things because I did more than just spin wings in a bucket. But uh, I, I really love cooking. Um, I love trying to make new like flavor flavors pop. Trying to trying to make something that my wife will eat. Trying to make something that like you know I have to have somebody over to have this immediately. Um, yeah. I, me and my wife make Ramdan from par- Parasite constantly. Oh, uh, nice. It, it's so easy and it's so cheap. So I really love cooking. Nice. Awesome. Well, let's move on to talking about our coming attraction where we talk about the little things this week. Um, this is coming out starring Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. Synopsis of this movie. Uh, this movie centers around Deke, which is Denzel Washington, a burnt-out Kern, burnt out Kern County, uh, California deputy sheriff who teams with Baxter, which is Rami Malek, crack LASD detective to nab a serial killer. Deke's knows for the little things proves eerily accurate but his willingness to circumvent the rules must or embroils baxter in a soul-shattering dilemma meanwhile deke must best wrestle with a dark secret from his past 
This is way too specific of a synopsis. But yeah. literally, our two options on IMDb were a movie about a serial killer, or, oh. a, or it was a, like a detective movie or something like that. So, like it was, it was like literally that. See if I can pull it up real quick, or or this long, complicated, hard to say one. Um, two cops track down a serial killer. So yeah, okay. I've never <laughs> like, seen a movie like that options. before. Sounds pretty unique. <laughs> so like, there's your options, and like this, this was even hard to say. Like just a. <laughs> Robert, uh, taking a look at this movie a little bit, given the parameters that COVID doesn't exist anymore and, you know, all that. Uh, how soon are you going to go check this movie out? You got to go try to catch it opening weekend, wait for a matinee, uh, wait to rent it at home, wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for. Or are you just not interested in watching this movie? Well, this one is interesting because the way it's releasing is simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. So I'm going to break your rules if that's okay and say... If it, if it was only theaters and if it was COVID and if there's no COVID, I would probably wait for a matinee to see this one. Um, okay. But since it is streaming on HBO Max, which I pay for, I will probably be streaming it opening weekend um, sometime that weekend. Yeah, it just doesn't look interesting enough for me to be like, man, I got to see this right away. There's going to be tons of takes on it. I got to be up to date with the discourse and all that. But it does intrigue me enough to be like, yeah, I'll sit on my couch and fire it up. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to be a little bit lower than you on theaters, but yeah, I, I think as long as we answer the, is it, you know, what's your anticipation level for a theater? I think that, I think that more than covers kind of saying how excited we are, because obviously if we're, if we're skipping straight towards streaming is pretty low on the anticipation scale, but if streaming is available soon, like there we go. As long as you're higher than that, probably going to check it out. Right. Um, I'd probably go with, I, I don't, I don't typically rent, but I feel like renting is, is, the like anticipation level like i'm right in the middle just as many things pull me pull me into this movie as pull me out in terms of intrigue so but yeah given that this is going to be hbo max uh and i since i pay for it i I would not be surprised if i get around to this in the first month that it's going to be on right i mean a month is a long time i mean like as we're recording this wonder woman is still on hbo and that feels like forever ago yeah, so. I've managed to uh, wait past all the take cycles and everything, and just people stop talking about it by the time I watch Wonder Woman. Man, where do you want to start? <laughs> here, I'll just start here. I think that intro shot of Jared Leto, at least in the trailer that I watched, Leto, who's not even mentioned in that synopsis, that wordy synopsis, it reminded me of the opening shot of Paul Dano from Prisoners, when you kind of have that silhouetted shot of him turning around by the woods. My take is that the way Jared Leto is presented in this trailer is kind of how I imagine him to be in real life. <laughs> Just be this like creepy. <laughs> I know you mentioned on the, the episode with Blake that you want to agree with everyone and like that you wish you could love Rise of Skywalker for Ben. Like I wish I could love Jared Leto for the same reason because he's he's Ben's favorite actor. But the way I think of him is like he's off in the middle of nowhere with his weird borderline cult not knowing that the pandemic started. Um, so that that's just the kind of vibe that I got from Jared Leto here and bringing this all together. My point there is to, is to say, this is something that I actually think he could do well in. So that part does interest me. Sure. It's borderline. Cause I think, man, Jared Leto's given some excellent performances, but he's also given some ones that I'm like, what are you doing guy? Like, exactly. And we'll talk about this movie later. Um, I love Blade Runner 2049, but I don't love Leto in that role. I don't, I don't really know that I like that character though. So it, it's just, it's just weird. Um, he doesn't have too big of a role either. Right. But it's not a terribly big, too, too big of a role. So that's why I don't think I, I don't think it knocks the movie at all for me. Right. 
and you know he's not given too much to do you know it's not like you know he's the final bad boss or something like that Mm -hmm. you know but he's great in dallas buyers club like he definitely deserves that oscar yeah so i love him or i hate him per like he's great in mr nobody he's great in requiem for a dream see that's one where i'm on the fence because i haven't seen it um the jury's out on that one for me got it he he's great in his limited role in fight club I typically like him, but I think as more people have recognized that this guy's a good actor, um, he's gotten a little bit more confident. Um, and yeah. I don't, and I don't know that that's helped his, it, it has become a problem for him because as people are supporting him and encouraging him, like you're great. Then it's like, cool. Well, let me do this thing. And it's like, Hey, that didn't work. Right. Yeah. I, I don't really have anything else to say about Jared Leto. I agree there. If you want to stick with the cast, my other big no thank you is Rami Malek, who I don't think deserved his Oscar um, for Bohemian Rhapsody. I would t- would have taken any one of the other nominees over him for that. He's good in the Night of the Museum movies. Like he's yeah. fun enough in those. And short term, short term 12 in The Master, he's got like mm-hmm. smaller roles um, and he's fine in them. Like I'm not saying he's bad, but when he finally had that big movie with Bohemian Rhapsody, I thought he was just kind of bad um especially since he was all it was was lip syncing for most of it and this whatever police chief or something like that whatever he's doing in this or a bond villain it just doesn't seem like the right thing for rami malek to be doing so that kind of turns me off i really like him as an actor i mean obviously first exposed to him in night at the museum i think he's great in that role it's a lot of fun yeah i I agree with you i don't think I, i wouldn't have given him the oscar for freddie mercury but I, I think he did good. I just don't, I don't know how much I like that movie, but he, he was definitely a bright spot for that. For me, you know, he's yeah. also in the, the Pacific in 24 to see where he's come, you know, especially after like Mr. Robot, which I haven't seen yet, but I've seen clips of. Yeah, that's the one caveat is that I know people love Mr. Robot and I haven't seen him. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen The Master, but I would say his best performance to date is Short Term 12. I think anybody in that movie can and should have gotten an Oscar. I think Rami Malek's pretty neutral on this for me. For for in terms of this movie, like I, I like him and I want to see him in more stuff. He could be a leading man now. He doesn't need to take this supporting role. And like, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many roles he's getting offered and whatnot, but like this is an Oscar winning actor for best lead performer. Like, right. The trailer says Oscar winner, Denzel, Oscar winner, Rami Malek, Oscar winner, Jared Leto. Like that has, that has decent draw for, you know, just a casual but, movie watcher. But this looks like a role that you don't need to cast an Oscar winning exactly. actor. In. This looks like you can just happily pass with, you know, not quite superstar. I mean, and all I'll say is I was looking through his IMDb credits and apparently he played Chi Chi in Doolittle. Um, I didn't see Doolittle, the, the Downey movie, Neither did I. but there's not a song called Rami Malek is Chi Chi, but there is Zendaya is Michi. So I think that says a lot. Yeah. And Denzel, you know, Denzel's yeah. great. Yeah. I was going to, um, I was saving him for last because I have no qualms about Denzel. Is there a bad Denzel performance? To be honest, I haven't seen a ton of Denzel, but everything I've seen him in, he's great. You know, uh, so yeah, I mean, everything I've seen him in, he's a great. Uh, sure, he's been in like not great movies, like you know, The Equalizer Two, Magnificent Seven, Safe House, but like he's not the problem with these movies. Right. <laughs> if anything, he elevates them to be maybe just okay. Like, and he can t- and he can take a you know a, a good movie and elevate it to be. I love Man on Fire. It's one mm-hmm. of my favorite performances by him. I think he's the reason why John Q works. He's the reason why Remember the Titans works. He's That's true. By far the best part of Glory. So <laughs> Def- better than uh, the lead white guy, uh, Matthew Broderick, <laughs> and or Carrie Elway. <laughs> true, right? Uh, but he, he's definitely the best part of Glory, and that was like his first big role. So uh, Training Day is incredible. 
I don't love training day the same way everybody else does. But, you know, I don't know that Denzel's had a bad performance. Like I said, he's been in some not great movies, but he, he's enjoyable to watch anything. Yeah. Um, there was one more I wanted to mention. Fences, Roman J is real. Unstoppable Book of Eli. Inside Man. Fallon, 123, American Gangster. Inside Man. Inside Man and Philadelphia. Both of the, He's good in both of those, even though Philadelphia isn't great. I, but I love Inside Man a lot. And I, I'm, I'll throw in Deja Vu. I think that's some goofy fun. Okay. I love Denzel. Yeah, Denzel is definitely the standout for me in the cast. Looking through the cast, it looks like they spent all their money on those three actors that we just talked about. Yep. John Lee Hancock, who wrote and directed this. Yeah. I'm not a fan of his, to be honest. I wanted to get around to eventually talking about him because he has very different writing and directing credits. Yeah, he wrote The Blind Side and Snow White and The Huntsman, both of which I think are terrible. Okay, I've heard good things about the Alamo or about the Blind Side. He also wrote the 2004 Alamo movie. I haven't seen that one. Which, which is the second time I'm talking about that movie today. Somehow. <laughs> yeah, Blind Side. The only good thing about that is Sandra Bullock. She's good. Um, he also directed well, the Founder, the McDonald's movie, which is that's a great movie. It, right. See, I think it's solid, but I also couldn't get Social Network out of my head the entire time I was watching it. That's fair. Um, that's fair. So, yeah, I, I think it is good. I'm not just saying with, it's just bad. Just with less quippy dialogue. Exactly. It's not bad. Um, but I also don't like The Highwaymen with uh, Kevin Costner and Woody, Woody Harrelson. And I haven't seen Saving Mr. Banks, so I can't make a judgment on that. So, like, I think the directing could go either way. But at the same time, the tone, at least of the trailer, looks different from any of the movies we just listed yeah he's also uh so again directed blindside and alamo as well which i haven't seen the alamo long enough to have an opinion on uh but he also directed the rookie that dennis quaid pitcher movie oh he, uh, he directed the rookie yeah and like I, I remember watching that kid a little bit as a kid and honestly the only scene that i remember is him throwing a speedball past a speed trap and it's it's actually a really well directed scene so <laughs> that's all i can remember from that movie maybe you throw in like uh this is written by joel cohen or right or, or like directed by one of the cohen brothers like because sometimes when they split off they do some really serious stuff mm-hmm. but like they wrote unbroken which isn't very good which that one's weird it's so, written by them and directed by angelina jolie right right but uh, so like I don't know, you, maybe you throw in a different writer director and uh, or or one of the two. Right. Uh, maybe if John Lee Hancock's the writer, maybe I don't, but not directing it. Maybe I get a little bit more excited, or vice versa. Since we both talked about how we like the founder, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe you throw somebody that's just really good at writing crime movies in there. See, that's and, why I said like this is different enough from everything else he's done. It could have potential. It could be solid. Um, sure. And there's sure. that line, and the last thing I wanted to mention is there. There's a line in the trailer. Rami Malek says to Denzel, "I want to nail him because of all because of what he did to all those girls," um, which is obviously a thing to say, the right thing to do, and a, a good, re- a noble reason to do that. But Denzel replies by saying, "I want to nail him too." The difference is, I'm doing it for me. So I'm interested in the psychology of his character and the history of his character just based off that line. There's so many crime stories out there. Yeah. Because I mean, it, it, this is this is like not really any fault to to the movie itself, but there's so many crime stories out there, especially because of the rise in crime TV. I mean, because as soon as CSI came out, well, and even before CSI, but like CSI, NYPD Blue, Miami Vice, uh, all the CSI spinoffs, the NCIS, that kind of whole cinematic universe on TV, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you also get things like um, uh, Criminal Minds, and so like even that takes a little. A- Bones is forensic science. Forensic science. Like, what new aspect of crime can you get? Like, we're really just forced to have good detective stories at this point. Like good, well thought of stuff, and like I'm, I'm here for it. But 
you you have to stand out as something special if you want to be remembered. To me, an easy way to do that is to have it be a period piece. So like, I haven't seen it yet, but like, I'm interested in Motherless Brooklyn mm-hmm. because it it simply takes place in you know in the city in the 20s to 60s somewhere between there. Right. Let's get NCIS so, and I, 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, and I know like also there's the with Motherless Brooklyn. There's also the whole like main character has Tourette's right. thing, which I know is also a draw, but like. I, Give me an old school detective story and I'm here for mm-hmm. it. You know, or give me Knives Out and I'm here for it. <laughs> right. That, that's The thing is Knives Out is like a different type of crime than like all of those shows that you listed though. Right. And that's why right. like that's why it stands out and makes your point for you. Yeah. So anyway, I just, you got to stand out and I don't know, I don't know that this stands out uh, to me at all. The fact that it's on HBO means I'm going to see it pretty quickly, but otherwise, yeah, I probably, I'm probably in the rent, like somewhere between rent and streaming. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's start talking about our goats, man. I'm excited for this week because I have some things to say about both of these okay. movies. Uh, you want to start with Rocky or Quiz Show? Uh, I have Rocky first in my notes, so want to go with that? Yeah, let's talk about Rocky. Also, because this could take a while to get through all the legacy about this movie. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Turns out Rocky's a popular movie <laughs> franchise. So, so we'll talk about Rocky and Quiz Show. Uh, obviously, this is a 1976 movie starring Sylvester Stallone. Synopsis is small time boxer gets a supremely rare chance to fight a heavyweight champion in about in which he strives to go the distance for his self-respect. This is not available to stream anywhere, at least currently. It looks like the Rocky franchise just kind of bounces around for like six months periods. I don't know, maybe for exposure or maybe because if it's not available immediately or whatever, whichever one you pay for, you're more likely to buy the movies. Um, Not a bad strategy. Yeah. A little bit about this movie. I'll try to go through as fast as I can. This has an 8.1 on IMDb. It's uh, number 232 of all time. It has a 70 on Metacritic and a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. This won, best, uh, this won Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Editing. This was nominated for Best Actor with Stallone, Best Actress with Talia Shire, Supporting Actor Burgess Meredith, Supporting Actor Burt Young, Screenplay Directly for the Screen, Sound, and Music Original Song. Obviously going to fly now. Man, what had to beat that out because that song's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. See, Golden Globes uh, won Best Picture Drama, was nominated for Director, Stallone, uh, Talia Shire, Screenplay, Original Score. Uh, So it has a Grammy nominated Original Score. You don't hear about that that too often. No. Uh, This was inducted into the National Film Registry in 2006. And AFI has given this plenty of awards, whereas Rocky was chosen the second best sports movie of all time behind Raging Bull, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point on GOATS. Uh, this is on 100 Years, 100 Movies, nineteen or number 78, 100 Thrills, number 52, Heroes and Villains, number 7, with Rocky, Songs, number 58, Movie Quotes, with Yo, Adrian, mm. at number 80, <laughs> Cheers, with number 4, uh, and Best Movies, 10th Anniversary, number 57. So it went up, like... 15 20 movies uh and empire empire magazine uh in 2008 uh included this in the 500 greatest movies of all time and in 2005 they took a poll that showed that it was ranked number nine for worst movies to have received best picture which i thought was fascinating kind of following up on that same line in 2005 the hollywood reporter did a poll of academy members to revote on controversial picks and the academy instead picked all the president's men as the best picture instead of Rocky. Obviously, this spawned five sequels plus the two and forthcoming Creed films. 2019, Stallone said there have been discussions about a prequel. There have been several video games, most recently a 2002 game for consoles and 2016 mobile release. There's a musical about this. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, yeah. Um, A musical of the movie premiered in Germany in 2012 and opened on Broadway in 2014 for 188 performances. In 1982, to coincide with Rocky III, 
Uh, a statue of Rocky holding his hands above his head was placed at the top of the Rocky Steps in Philadelphia. I know they're not actually the Rocky Steps, but mm-hmm. they're the Rocky Steps. It was then relocated to the sidewalk, and then it was returned for the release of Rocky Five and the 30th anniversary of Rocky. Uh, and then it was permanently moved to a spot next to the steps. So it's not on the sidewalk anymore. It's up there. Have you ever been there? No, I've, uh, I've been to Philadelphia as a kid. Um, not that I really remember much about it. Um, I was like five or six at the time. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw it. That's all. Sure. Well, you live on the, you live a little closer to the East Coast. Yeah, I only live a couple hours away from Philly. So uh, if I go back, I'd go, I'd go uh, check it out. I'd like to spend more time. Like Philadelphia is a great historical city. So um, really interested in that kind of stuff. And the very last notes, which which Robert definitely made sure to point out to me, is that this is Aaron Dicer's 140th favorite movie of all time. And this is number 29 on Andrew's list. So anytime there's a goat that we're talking about that the boys also love, we got to talk about that. So there we go. Um, Robert, you had seen this before, right? Yeah, I saw it a few years ago. Were you excited to rewatch it? Yeah, because um, Creed 3 is coming out at some point. Uh, and before that, I'm definitely going to be watching all the Rockies and all the Creeds. So yeah, I was excited to start the process over again. Now, is this the only movie in the Rocky franchise that you'd seen beforehand? No, I've seen Rocky 1 and 2 and Creed 1 and 2. Okay. So no Rocky 3 through whatever. I got the box set of all the Rocky movies this past Black Friday for like 20 bucks. So I was happy about that. Yep. I've got that as well. I've had it for a while, probably about a year now <laughs> and just haven't picked it up yet. So there you go. I was excited to watch this movie because, uh, man, I, I don't really like sports movies, but like sports movies that are considered this good, you know, and for the past what 50 years, I guess. People have considered almost 40, 45 years. People have been claiming is close to the best sports movie of all time, if not the best. Like, you know, that, that's a movie that's going to excite me, to, uh, get me excited to watch it. Robert, what do you think about The Rocky? Do you like it, love it, hate it, just like it? I think it's just okay. Can I make two quick notes from your trivia? Oh, yeah. That I, that I was going to mention. It lost to uh, that year's Star is Born. I looked it up while you were talking mm. um, for original song for Evergreen, which no one still sings that, but people still sing Gonna Fly Now. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least hum the, the melody. And that was actually the only note I had. Um, so yeah, <laughs> as for my rating, um, I'm going to say, can I say like firmly in between the firmly in the like it and high side of like it? So I'm like three, three fourths of the way up, up the like it. You scale. can say whatever you want, man. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's where I am with, with Rocky. All right. Uh, this could be unpopular. I think this movie's just okay. That's fair. I, th- I think we can have a good conversation about that because looking, if you want to get into it now, looking back on it, I didn't realize it um, until I started watching it the second time. That first hour is not, it's not like super slow or boring to me at least, but it takes a while to get into like the actual fighting and and, it, and like the kind of stuff that you would expect from a modern sports movie. Um, yeah. And I think we're going to be grappling with the same thing again that we've done a bunch of times on this. Um, this is, you can see its influences on future sports movies, especially future boxing movies. Um, but I don't know if it, if it did it the best. Like, I actually think I like the first Creed more than I like this movie. I'm sure when I get there, I'll like it. And like, I have a feeling it's like some of that silly, like Rocky four, like I'll probably like more than Rocky. So yeah, that, that's just where I'd start with it. I was, I was just surprised it took, I think right until the middle of the two hour movie for even Apollo Creed to be like, yeah, let me fight this guy. Sure. That's when it finally ramped up to the classic type of sports movie that we've come to be accustomed to now. Sure. I wanted to like this movie so bad. I just didn't care about it at all. Rocky is one of those movies that I had never claimed that I had seen, but I would always say like, but I feel like I've seen bits and pieces of it 
and like I've been you know in a part of conversations or hearing conversations podcasts whatever about people talking about it that I'm pretty sure like nothing is going to be surprising for me um when mm-hmm. I watch it. like I feel like I've already seen this movie you know kind of like you you were you've been tweeting a lot about like you you you're pretty sure you already know Spider-Man 3 everything that's going to happen <laughs> exactly yeah and everybody that's going to appear like and obviously we get that a lot with uh with with movies and trailers and and all the news yeah. and the internet and everything so yeah I just I, I was dead wrong I knew a lot about oh. the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes and that was it okay. <laughs> and like maybe that's the point people don't talk I mean well maybe not the last 10 minutes but kind of training in the meat factory to the end. But like nobody talks about Rocky and Adrian's relationship because who cares about Rocky and Adrian? And like, if you do care about Rocky, Rocky and Adrian, like, sorry, I don't, I don't want to root for them. And 100% all the president's men should have won the Oscar this year. See, I meant to watch network. I've never seen network, but I I know that's like an all timer. I meant to watch it before this, but I just didn't get around to it. But I would, I would also go with either taxi driver or all the president's men over Rocky, both of which are the other two nominees. I would I would put Taxi Driver ahead of this as well. Um, I don't I don't know that I love Taxi Driver. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, and I, I I'd love to be able to talk about it on the goat sometime. You know, give me give me a reason to rewatch it, um, and maybe think about it differently. But uh, I wouldn't give this movie. I, I'd give it original song, but that's the one it didn't win. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe editing well, or maybe some of the technical achievements. See, I'm kind of conflicted with the screenplay because, and also while we're on the topic of Taxi Driver, Rocky says, "Is he talking to me?" And it was, I like that it, this is the same year as Taxi Driver and had that. But when it comes to the screenplay, I'm conflicted because I can't go back and like only know history of, of movies up till 1976 and see how innovative this was for that time. So like, like I can't have a mindset of someone watching it in, in 76. The first modern boxing movie that came to my mind was Real Steel for some reason. But that's got like action throughout and it's got like other boxing matches. But Rocky has the boxing match in the beginning the training montage in the middle and the big boxing match at the end. And that's the only action, but the rest of it is like Rocky trying to find his purpose. He he's trying to be sentimental. He's trying to get respect. Uh, he wants people to remember him. So it's very character driven, certainly more so than you would expect from anything Stallone does these days. So I definitely appreciated that more about this movie than I did the first time I saw it. So that's why I, I say the screenplay is good, but at the same time, like you were saying about the relationship with Adrian, I just don't really see any chemistry. He's just like, Adrian, I like you because I do. You should like me too, because I'm nice to you. And she goes, no, never mind. Okay. Because you stand up to my brother. And it's kind of just like random. I don't know. That's why I'm, I'm conflicted on the screenplay overall. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, I don't know that the screenplay deserves a nomination. I'm kind of surprised that Stallone got a very, I mean, cause he wrote the rest of the Rocky movies and directed actually two through four and then Balboa uh the director of this first one went back and did Rocky five it it surprises me that again I don't know what screenplays were like in 1976 um I actually think sometimes the older movies get the more clever the screenplays are I mean we we talked about his girl Friday Uh, that's a very clever screenplay yeah I, I I don't get it, but I like I like the theme of this movie. I like the message about right. um, this, Rocky is not the best fighter, but he can persevere. You know, I, I like I even like the message that Apollo Creed is trying to give about this is the American dream. Like I'm gonna pick somebody random. Why do I pick him? Because I like his name. Like mm-hmm. imagine Apollo Creed versus the Italian Stallion. Like yeah. that's a matchup, and like just some random person. That's exciting to me. I like that, but I don't like the rest of the movie because I like the movies 
message. I think there's only one good even performer in this movie. And I think it's Burgess Meredith. And I don't even like his character, but I think he's giving a great performance. I don't think that Paul Young is giving a great performance. I don't think that Wait, Adrian... Who, 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 which character is he? Mickey, the trainer. Oh, Mickey's a trainer. Paulie's the brother. The owner of the gym. Yeah. Right, right. I love him. I, I don't like Polly. Um, as a character, or no. I don't really like the actor because I don't think the actor's doing very much. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Adrian is acting very well at all. The I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, the actress, apologize. I don't, I don't think this is a great performance. I definitely don't think that Stallone has a good performance here. I, I wouldn't give any of them nominations. I, I do like Burgess Meredith as Mickey, though. I think he's giving a great performance. Uh, that that's about it, though. Yeah, I joked to you on Slack before recording this that I wanted to do my Rocky impression this whole podcast, which would just be mumbling and saying, you know, at the end of everything, because that's pretty sure. much Stallone's well, like, whole performance. I mean, I get that Stallone has paralysis in the left side of his face, which is why he talks the way he does. I mean, I, I can't fault him for that, I, but that that's not the issue I have with the performance. The issue I have with it is he's got a 99% just deadpan performance and he, and he always looks confused as what's going on. Yeah, right. The only scene of substance for his performance, to me at least, other than the boxing stuff, is uh, when he's going to the ring the night before. You you have the color of my shorts wrong and all that. Like he's you know thinking about what it means. He's worrying that he can't actually go through with it. But the rest of it is just a lot of him playing an underdog, and that's really the only thing where he's doing anything of depth. Sure. I think the scene where he goes in and they mention the color of the shorts, I think that's a really good scene. I think the fighting is great. Um, I think the choreography there is good. I, I really like how the movie makes it a point to show that Rocky is is beefing up and he's he's trying to to work his hardest to achieve you know the American dream. But Apollo Creed is he's not working out, he's not training, he's not really doing anything because he's like, I'm gonna yeah. fight this nobody. Like this should be nothing. So I I like how they make it a point to make it a little bit more believable that a nobody could beat the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world and also how like it shows his ignorance shows his arrogance mm-hmm. it made me believe because I mean, if apollo creed would have kept on training like should have been a first round knockout right yeah probably <laughs> I-, I like how that was actually part of the story um, i like how we we see apollo creed in in that mindset and i was talking again talk about ufc with with somebody earlier today and we all know that wwe staged like everything that goes on there is staged but ufc i don't believe is but they play up the story they play up you got to watch this guy's right hook you got to watch he he likes to go for body shots you got to watch like this guy's weak on uh, on his left side you got to make sure to like attack that vulnerability and like they announce fights however many months in advance and they make so much money because for six months they're talking about a fight. So So I'm a little confused then like generally, what didn't you like? Like what was it about the movie that made you say only okay? Because I know you said the performances aren't great and you don't like the Rocky and Adrian relationship, but you just gave like a lot of reasons and kind of made me like it a little bit more. I didn't even think about like Apollo sitting back and doing nothing while Rocky was doing all the training. You gave me reasons to like it more, so I'm just confused or curious um, why why it's just okay for you. I don't like anything in this movie that doesn't have to do with the fight. So, like any of the stuff at home with the sister or Correct. with with Polly and Adrian and Correct. their relationship, and all that. Gotcha. Correct. I don't like and and like I like the Rocky training stuff. Mm-hmm. I like the the interview stuff. Um, I like the fights, obviously. Um, I, I even like uh, when he's going to the gym and he, you know, whatever conversations he has with 
with Mickey, you know, whether it's the, I took away your locker because you could have been somebody great, but instead now you're just a thug, your muscles for hire. Uh, and, and, I, and I like that kind of stuff. I don't like anything that doesn't have to do with the fight. And most of this, that's most of this movie. Right. That's what I was getting at be- earlier. That be- Because you'll get the like Rocky's hitting meat, but then you get like 30 minutes of relationship tension that I just don't buy into. Yeah, Stallone was obviously trying to make a sports movie that wasn't so focused on the sports. Sure. The kind of superhero movies I gravitate to are like Logan when it is more about the character than about the action or the superhero-ness of it. So he was trying to do that same thing where it's like, this is just about a guy who also happens to be a boxer and I'm going to show you things about his life through that. But I agree, it doesn't totally work. And that's why I'm like, I think what works works really well. What doesn't work is just kind of whatever for me. Like, I don't hate it. So that's why I'm like, I like it to really like it. Um, sure. And, you know, I, I agree. What works really well works really well. And what doesn't is just kind of there. And I don't. But there also is um, the, the scene where Adrian first comes over to Rocky's apartment is just icky. It's it's so uncomfortable. It's so hard to watch. And it made me question, like, we're supposed to root for this guy. You know, yeah. this is AFI's like seventh hero of all time because she's standing by the door. I mean, she's there. At her she didn't want to come hero. in in the first place. She, she didn't want to come in, but like she went in. It wasn't like I have no other option. It wasn't like I you know, carried you upstairs. Like she comes in, but she's standing by the door and Rocky keeps on t- saying, come sit down on the couch. You know, the couch is nice. Come. Like five or eight different times. And she's like, I think I'm good here. And like she inches towards the door and eventually he gets up and he moves closer to her and she backs away. And eventually, like, he pins her against the door and, and is like, I like you. I'm going to kiss you now. And he just does after the first kiss. Like, then she starts. It's like, I don't think the movie is trying to go for this. But, like, I wonder if the the character of Rocky, maybe because I haven't seen anything in the future. Is the character of Rocky supposed to be socially incompetent? I don't think so. Uh, I know they're married to start the, se- <clears throat> to start the second one. But... I agree with you. Like, I forgot how uncomfortable and, like you said, icky that was. Because, again, I would need to study up on my social history to verify whether what I'm, what I'm about to say is true. But I think it might be like what we were talking about with Goldfinger. It's just a different time. And we can say, that's wrong now. Like, I, I don't think you would ask. Like, if Rocky was made today, they wouldn't ask you to root for him if he was doing the exact same things. It also has the same problem where, like, he takes off her glasses and her hat, and yeah. now, now he kisses her because right. you know. I, I bring that up, like I felt in that performance that like both of them might be somewhere on the spectrum, and I don't know if I'm supposed to think that. That that's the way I felt that these performances are happening, and this is the only way that I think this this kind of. I mean, yeah, we talked about like Goldfinger, like you just kind of gotta be willing to say that this isn't right for the time. But I think we were supposed to think about Rocky and Adrian. Is that they're like social loners because Adrian starts coming out of her shell a little bit when she starts hanging out with Rocky more. That's true. That's true. Like they just don't have the the interaction to build up that social competence. Like I said, when she starts hanging out with Rocky, then she starts being more confident. She runs up to the to the ring with him at the end of the movie, all that, all that kind of stuff. And she fights back to Polly and all that. There, There's definitely a shift once she starts hanging out with rocky more but the stuff before it is i definitely see what you're saying and um that scene is certainly icky 
that scene just threw me off. It's like I, I don't I don't know why I'm supposed to root for this guy, especially in this relationship. You know, it, it's same thing how we were talking about. Uh, we were talking about the Notebook on your podcast. Okay. Um, I don't want to root for those two people, and right. the way that the way that they meet together, where he's trying to steal her away from some other guys, it's just icky and wrong. And I don't want. It's weird to say this, but I don't want Ryan Gosling to end up with that person because, mm-hmm. like, we always want him to, <laughs> right? Because um, he's Ryan Gosling, right? I felt the same way about this movie's relationship as I did with the Notebook, which is very much against this relationship happening because of the way that it starts. Yeah, there is um, no reason that Adrian should like Rocky. N- no, you're you're right. It's fair. Your uh, criticism is fair. That's why I'm saying the stuff leading up to them when he first visits her in the pet shop, up to the icky scene. None of that really works, but after that, I think their relation or their character development works well. Sure. What are some? I don't have any more notes about this movie, but what are what are maybe some examples of like? Do you like fighting movies more than this? I think of two fighting movies that I love. I I don't know that I can think of any others. I love Cinderella Man and I love Warrior. Warrior's been on my list for forever. I want to watch it so bad, but anytime something's over two hours, it gives me pause about starting it. So that's the only reason I haven't seen it yet. That's the thing. I don't watch a lot of fighting movies because that's one of my notes is I, I'll never understand the the appeal of bo- of boxing or UFC or anything like that. Sure. Because I just I just don't get it. I don't particularly have that either. But I think so part of part of the reason why I think I love those two movies so much. And you know, I mentioned that Rocky isn't really a fighting movie. Uh, and that kind of throws me off um, because I expected it to be. Uh, and that's really the only part of the movie that I like. But I mean, Cinderella Man is just as much about the Great Depression and about telling this story of this right. guy than it is. And because it's based on a true story, too, probably also helps. It's very much a, a movie about that. But uh, Warrior is is more of a family movie, like a family drama movie than it is anything else. The, the other thing about Warrior is I've never seen a movie where you have two protagonists kind of fighting at the end. I'm genuinely conflicted on who I want to win because it's such an emotional movie. I'm like, I understand the motivations for each of these characters. I understand mm-hmm. where they're coming from. And, and that tension is something that I just I live for. So like those are two examples of fighting movies that I, I really love. Talk about this in just a second. Um, I do think that you don't have either of those without Rocky. Right, you don't have. I don't think you have any of the boxing movies like that we have now without Rocky. Well, um, Raging Bull comes out four years later, and I don't know how much of that well, movie was already planned, or I, or I don't know if that was Scorsese wanted to do a boxing movie after that, uh, or I don't know if that was studio did, wasn't going to approve it, but did because Rocky did so well. Like I, I have no idea the history of that. So, like Rocky turned into a big franchise where it became more of like entertainment than Oscar type. So that that might have contributed to more boxing movies if that makes sense and i don't really like raging bull that much it's it's a different type of boxing movie than rocky like it's a very different type of boxing movie that one's definitely very character driven i turned it off 40 minutes in but it's only because i thought i was getting into a boxing movie not a bio not a biography that has a little boxing in it right and i just wasn't i wasn't ready to watch that at the time so i need to rewatch it at some point that's what that's what it is it's more of like a, a guy's life a couple of boxing movies that I was looking up while you were talking. The Fighter, I haven't seen that in a long time, but I, I remember liking it. But that's another one where it's about addiction and family struggles and stuff like that. And Southpaw, which yeah. is the same thing. Yeah, um, I haven't seen Southpaw. but Most people don't like it. I didn't realize that until after I watched it and said that I liked it. So Well, all right. So that's, I guess, the last note that I had about here was I'm surprised that there's so much controversy about Rocky because I've only heard people love and praise this movie. I mean, I remember even very definitively when the CinemaSins did their March Madness bracket of the best movies of the years they've been alive, it was Rocky versus the Dark Knight in the first round, and they picked Rocky. And, like, 
no way I would pick Rocky in that matchup. See, if you and I did the same thing of years we've been alive, it would be a much smaller field. So I just made a letterbox list of the best movies of the years. My oh, favorite no. movies of each year I've been alive. So, Well, my point is, even though it would, exclu- it would exclude Rocky, I think just because of the age that we are, we would choose Dark Knight. That's what I struggle with. I realize every single time we, we record one of these episodes is that people watch different thing like they have different mindset when something originally comes out and it's difficult to capture it 45 years later sure all right well uh wrap it up with these do you have any more notes to say about this movie uh yeah i'll just uh make an amalgam of my last two notes into one i love a couple different needle drops and that's at the very beginning when it has like rocky it like slide across the screen with the with the rocky theme playing i love that and then as the music quietly comes in during the last fight, as, as it's starting, you can hear it hear it coming in. And then as it's ramping up, as it's getting closer, as, as the fight's getting closer to ending, the, the music's also ramping up. And I love that a lot. Sure. Um, also, that's the other thing. I don't know how boxing scoring works and how, how they decide who wins. But didn't he win that? He should have won that. Well, there's so many rounds that we don't see. We saw, I think, round one, two, and then the final round. And Rocky clearly wins round number one. And Apollo Creed clearly wins round number two. And Rocky clearly wins the last one. So, like, right. yeah, shouldn't Rocky have won? It leads you to believe all the ones that it just kind of glosses over. Like, wow, it's evenly matched. He's standing toe-to-toe with Apollo. Who would have guessed? And then, like, at the end, he does. Anyway. Like I said, I knew he loses to Apollo Creed because I know that the plot of two is he gets the rematch and i know that in rocky four they you know, they eventually have a good friendship because right. you know creed dies and or, creed carga yeah so i don't know how boxing scoring works but i'd agree with you based off of what we saw it looks like i mean it was fairly equal but it's got to lean rocky rocky had those blows at the end yeah yeah well uh robert you see yourself watching this movie more in the future yeah i feel like Rocky's going to be something that i'll come back to every now and then watch the watch the series um because yeah that was the last thing i wanted to say too is that this kind of makes me want to go and watch two and then three and just anytime there's like a new universe created i just want to see how the world plays out in that universe so yeah i agree you know i don't know that i'm going to watch this movie a ton especially you know like i said i think i do want to watch the go through the franchise regard you know even the bad ones like i know rocky five is supposed to be probably the series low point but i would think that uh I probably would maybe watch at least the first Creed more. I haven't seen either of the Creed movies, but I think I'd probably more gravitate towards if I'm going to watch a Rocky movie, I'd probably just rather watch Creed or, you know, maybe some of the more entertainment ones like Rocky four. I don't know how often I'll go back to this movie. It's probably not as often as, you know, most like film lovers would should say. Yeah. And it is what it is. I just thought it was okay. Uh, may, you know, maybe I'd do it for some, you know, if I, I want to do a marathon or if, Mm-hmm. Somebody really wants to watch it. I don't. I can't think of many times that I'd want to pick this up and watch this, especially because like I'd rather watch Warrior or Cinderella Man. Right. So I call doing a Rocky franchise guest sift sort, sift sort whenever <laughs> uh, Creed Three comes out, like I did with Fast and Furious and X Men. Nice, nice. All right. So, uh, would is this movie a goat? Would you put this in uh, in our Criterion Collection type thing? Whatever, however you're defining it. <laughs> Yeah, I like the criterion, and that's what I'm going to go with, and I'll say yes, because it informed future boxing movies. Okay. 
gosh, I'm right on the border of yes and no, uh, because no, because I didn't like the movie, but yes for importance. But if you're going to make me pick one, I'm going to say probably not. And maybe it's because, again, I don't know the story of Raging Bull. If Rocky doesn't exist, does Raging Bull still exist? I just don't know. Um, and does it exist the same way? But I think, I think Raging Bull honestly might have the greater impact um, overall based off of what I saw from when I was watching it. I would put Cinderella Man in there. I'd put Warrior in there. I wouldn't put Rocky in there. That's fair. Uh, so there we go. All right, let's do it. Quiz show. This is a 1994 movie. 1994, by the way, best year for movies ever. This uh, also not available to stream anywhere. It was for HBO for a while, but uh, not not anymore. Synopsis of this movie is a young lawyer. Richard Goodwin investigates a potentially fixed game show. Charles Van Doren, a big-time show winner, is under Goodwin's investigation. This has a 7.5 on IMDb. I promise a much shorter legacy section. <laughs> 7.5 on IMDb and 92 on Metacritic and 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. This was nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Paul Schofield. That's the uh, jur- journalist. I uh, Director is Robert Redfield and uh, Best Redford. Adapted Screenplay. What did I say? Redfield? Yeah. Yes. Redford. Yes. And also, oh, uh, Paul Schofield plays Mark Van Doren. Sorry, not uh, not the reporter. So the father. The, there's these 2020 awards, which essentially is 20 years after the Oscars. They re-evaluate the Oscars, and no quiz show was did not win any of the ones that it was nominated for, which I think that's a fascinating concept. I love that idea. Let's see, for the Golden Globes, this was nominated for Best Picture Drama, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Tuturo, and uh, Best Screenplay, did not win anything. There had been a prior documentary in 1992 for PBS on the American experience based off this story. This is based on a chapter from a book, Remembering America, the voice from the 60s. And this is Aaron Dicer's 10th favorite movie of all time, which I thought was surprisingly high. Andrew does not have this on his list, but that's all the legacy I could find, like why this movie would be considered a goat. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know it was a true story until the end. <laughs> <laughs> Until it started saying, like, this guy lives here now. And I had to look up if it was pulling an Unbreakable or if it was actually a true story. I was surprised it was a true story. I, I guess I wasn't surprised. I just was taken aback. Uh, sure. There are some things, obviously, that it takes liberties with. Like, I'm pretty sure that the reporter character is sort of an amalgamation of several different people at several different times. Probably. Yeah, I'm sure that um, there is definitely some other liberties taken. taken like with everything. Right, like, like with everything, yeah. Um, and especially in the 90s when people didn't care. <laughs> like I, I, I found this shockingly not a ton to say about. It's it's even hard. I don't even know if there's a U.S. Blu-ray release because the, the Blu-ray I have is a U.K. release. But uh, I, I think a movie that's in Dicer's top 10 and has a, such a high score on most places is, uh, is worth definitely talking worth talking about in The Goats. So um, I saw this first in high school. My family had it, um, owned, had owned it, but I saw it in high school for my film as literature class. Probably seen it two or three times since then, uh, once being yesterday. So um, that's kind of my history. I'm ex- I was excited because I-, I just think you want to watch movies that you really love. And again, I'm kind of a sucker for period pieces. So Robert, what excited you to watch this? Same thing as ever. Just movie I've heard people talk about is great. Uh, I like Ray Fiennes. I like John Turturro. That was, that was basically it. I, I knew the two main actors and I knew it had good word of mouth. And another thing I was surprised by, I didn't know it was a Robert Redford, Redford feel film until mm. i was watching the opening credits so that added to my excitement sure i love this movie i really do i fall i fall there on the category uh, this is my 90th favorite movie of all time it didn't change anywhere in my standings upon rewatching it although it's kind of as i was telling you before i was kind of rewatching this one in the background because of time mm-hmm. constraints 
Um, so I don't, maybe if I would have paid more attention to it, but I was cooking for a lot of it. I was, uh, or for really the last like 30 minutes, uh, I was doing show notes for future stuff while the movie's going on because again, I've seen it three or four times. So um, this was yeah. more so a background watch for me. So it, it didn't move um, anywhere, but this is 90 all time for me. And I think I'm going to get at least slightly hurt. Robert, do you like this movie? Love it. Hate it. It's like, I think it's just okay. I hate this. No, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> Uh, I'm just in like it, um, okay. may, maybe bordering on. Okay. I, I surprised myself. What did I, I think I gave it a three and a half. So it's probably, yeah, just liked it. Sure. I, I can understand how this could be somebody, somebody's actually, no, I can't, I can understand how this could be in somebody's top 100 movie films. I, it really shocks me that this is Dicer's 10th favorite film, especially with how little he talks about it on the show. Like that's what I was going to say. We should have him come on and explain because should I just get into my problems or my, my thoughts on it? I would like to make one note before you do that. Okay. I think if this movie comes out in any year other than 1994, it has a lot more pr- uh, praise and press. That's that's a fair point. I think if this is 1996, it has a legitimate contention at the Best Picture winner because 1996 was a hard year for me to look and be like, what was my favorite movie of that year? Because mm-hmm. like it was Fargo, and I really like Fargo, but I didn't really want to say Fargo was the best movie of a year. Um, Fargo I would say it's really pretentious and uh, the Coen brothers are Tarantino one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, Blake, but like, you know, 1996, you get like, uh, I mean, bottle rocket, twister, Hamlet, time to kill primal fear, the original mission impossible, James giant peach, independent day, nutty professor chain reaction, <laughs> like from dust till dawn space jam jingle all the way. Like quiz show would knock this year out of the park. But, you know, compare that to 1994, which, as I mentioned, is my favorite year for movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you got Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, The Usual Suspects, Leon the Professional, The Shawshank Redemption, uh, Clear and Present Danger, The Mask, Interview with a Vampire, The Crow, see Natural Born Killers, which, Speed. So, so many amazing movies in 1994. The Mighty Ducks 2, which I'll talk about next week. <laughs> Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Hudsucker Proxy, Lion Lion King. 1994 is the best year of movies, and it would have been hard for anything to come over Forrest Gump that year. And uh, even The Shawshank Redemption didn't win the best picture of that year, although it should have. And and Pulp Fiction, like... I think on that looking back thing that you were talking about earlier, it would be between Pulp Fiction and and Shawshank. I think they'd give screenplay to Pulp Fiction, but Shawshank would get best picture. Sure, yeah, because... I, I think that's how it would go. I think more people universally like those. I've never seen anyone say they dislike Shawshank. Maybe a couple say they dislike Pulp Fiction, but I've seen a lot of people say Forrest Gump is overrated. And I'm one of those people. I look. I think Forrest Gump's fine, but I wouldn't pick it to be the best picture winner. I, w- I wouldn't pick it to be better than Pulp Fiction, or I wouldn't pick it to be better than Quiz Show. So that's the one note I wanted to make. Is I think this movie would get a lot more attention if it was in a movie in a year that it had a little bit more time to shine a little bit more space to, to really prove there were certainly critics that called it the best movie of the year. Um, if you check like Wikipedia's like ranking of the critics, a, a lot of them were uh, like, e- like Roger Ebert had this like 10th best of the year to make your top 10 for Roger Ebert is like yeah some high praise. So you know, P- I think Peter Travers had this as his best movie of the year. Peter Travers, his quotes definitely on the Blu-ray case. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, that, that was my one note, but yes, go, go and start, start talking about this movie. Where is the, Best Supporting Actor nomination for Martin Scorsese. That's my that's my <laughs> biggest qualm in this movie. What the heck? No, in all seriousness, I was just like, what what is going on? Is that Scorsese? And as I was looking up the trivia for this movie, apparently Redford was just like 
I need somebody that can play this type of character. And so who better than just to get somebody from the industry? <laughs> okay. Because I've never seen him in anything other than his own movies. So that, that was just a fun little surprise. And he actually had like a decent sized role. Like he had that right, whole that- scene with the, the lawyer at, towards the end. Well, because he's got just cameos in his own movies, but he's got like a exactly probably what ten minutes of screen time in yeah. this movie. Yeah, because he's the executive or something of the the product they're trying to push on the quiz show. Geritol. Jared, yeah. Only because they say it like forty million times in the movie. Did you notice what the judge's last name was towards the beginning? I did notice. Yeah, Judge Schweitzer. There you go. Yeah, I, I just watched something else with someone who had the last name Schweitzer, and I'm like, man, what is going on? I've never heard that name other than you, and then all of a sudden, two pieces of media. You um, never heard of Albert Schweitzer? Nope. Really? Oh, he's like a big humanitarian have? guy. Not really a theologian, but like in the name of Jesus, humanitarian guy. Gotcha. Well, maybe I'm bad humanitarian then. <laughs> My first real note on this movie, other than these couple quick things, is... um. I thought it wasn't able to focus in like the character work was shoddy for me. Like it had the Totoro character, the Rafe Fiennes character and the lawyer from Boston slash DC. And it tried to do character work with each of them. It was unfocused to me because at one point, all of a sudden you're following Rafe Fiennes for like 40 straight minutes. It felt like. I was like, wait, what happened to Totoro's character? Then he's coming back for the court cases and all of that. Um, and then for a while, it's following the lawyer investigating all this stuff. For me, it just seemed a little too all over the place for me to be able to really take anything from it character-wise. And then it seemed too unfocused because it was trying to do character stuff, but also say stuff about the system. And that it just kind of lost me in all in all of it. How would you have fixed that? Focus on one of the two Totoro or Fines, or just cut out any of the, just like present the lawyer as an objective character and not like he's worried about what's going on. Oh, he's becoming friends with Van Dorn. I think that's where it tripped up for me, at least. It's interesting how he becomes buddy, buddy with right. Charles Van Dorn. Like that's, that's an interesting take, especially since like, you know, Van Dorn knows he's in the wrong and that Dick Goodwin could bust him for it. And he knows that, Dick Goodwin's an intelligent guy. It was is a weird kind of contrast there because I I, don't, I I also like this Dick Goodwin character. I don't I don't want them to do like a Citizen Kane type of thing where we don't know our investigator, where it's really like allows us to put ourselves in our shoes. Because I I need to believe that somebody as smart as Charles Van Doren and Herb Stemple, I need to believe that somebody can compete intellectually with them. So I need to see Dick Goodwin just as smart as them, which we see several times. Right. Yeah, what else? I don't know. I think all of my comments on it kind of stem from that, that that it's like so unfocused because I do like the character work. Like I like that Van Dorn is feeling guilty, but he's just... The whole thing is people trying to get out of the umbrella of family, right? Because Van Dorn, want, even though his father's famous and he could have money and he's a professor and everything, he wants to have his own success outside of his father. Like he shares an office with his father. And I don't know about that. His primary motivation to me is to get respect from his dad, to get approval, to right. But like, to... I, I don't know. I don't know that he wants to step out of his dad's shadow. I think. I think he wants his dad to welcome him into his into the reputation, into the light of the Van Dorn name. I think we're saying we're getting at the same thing from different angles because okay. he want like he wants to do something where people say like, oh, he did that without his dad's help, his dad's approval comes from that like 
he's not just the the rich kid like he's he's getting that approval of being like looked at i can go on here and give all these smart answers and have all these people uh think of me in this way like the parallel i was trying to draw was Totoro's character i don't remember his name but like the whole time he he did it like he lied because he knew he could get the money so that they wouldn't have to ask his wife's parents for money anymore yeah he wants that financial independence so it's kind of like trying to get their own you know their own legacy not that van dorn's trying to sever ties completely from his dad it's just like he doesn't want it to be to seem like he had everything given to him yeah that's an interesting juxtaposition that i didn't think about until now how both of these people are motivated by family because i i only think about the van dorn character Mm -hmm. and part of it is i think the way that herb stemple is portrayed because he's they mention the in-laws a couple times but for the most part you just kind of think that they focus a little bit more on how this character is a little bit of a sap yeah like uh He's definitely been wronged. I mean, he's committed wrong as well, but like there's no honor among thieves and all that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there's just such a focus on the Van Doren character. You can see it constantly throughout this movie in sometimes subtle and not and sometimes very much not so subtle ways about how I don't know that I fully agree with. I don't know that Charles Van Doren is trying to make a name for himself independently from his father. Like you were saying, I, I think he is 100% seeking his father's approval. And he likes the attention that comes from the show, right. which we see. I think I think maybe the best moment in the film is where he asks the cab driver or where the cab driver pulls up and he ties his shoe, which is already tied, yeah. just to wait until the students are coming out. I think right. that's maybe the the best, most interesting moment in the movie. But I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that he's trying to do something apart from his dad. Except maybe just, to, which maybe is the point you're trying to make, except just maybe to show, hey, dad, I did something without you. Right. Yeah. And okay. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. Like I said, I think we're coming yeah. at the same point from slightly different angles. Sure. Sure. Um, but I think that that dynamic is so interesting. I, I think it's so relatable in a lot of ways, especially like, I don't personally get the, uh, the nomination for Paul Schofield as for best supporting actor. I mean, he does fine. Sure. I feel like nothing special. old father characters often get that supporting nomination like Sam Elliott in Star is Born from a couple of years ago from a couple of years ago sure i don't know that he's necessarily doing anything special no but i think our three primarily lead, primary leads are all worth uh, an oscar nomination i'm kind of surprised that ray fines wasn't given anything i mean Turturro's a standout in, in this movie he's excellent I, I personally think Mob, Rob Morrow as Dick Goodwin is the best. Uh, I love him. I love his character. Uh, I love the interactions that he has with people. He always seems to be just behind everybody, but also just a- ahead of them. Like he always seems mm-hmm. to be like, I know what's going on. I just need to figure out how, how this all connects and how to, how to prove it to my boss. Yes. And, and, and into a jury. And, right. Man, when, when there's that final confrontation with the producer, like that's some intense stuff. Yeah. So that was the next thing I wanted to get to is because like we talked about the personal stuff with Van Dorn and Totoro's character. But then there's, like I said, there's this systemic stuff it's trying to talk about also. Mm-hmm. These guys just bribe everyone and they think <laughs> they think money talks and speaks the same language to everyone and that like everyone has their price where they'll give up their values, which is basically what... Van Dorn ended up doing and Totoro's character ended up doing, but the uh, Dick Goodwin, he's the one that they're not going to corrupt, you know, like he's the, the Harvey Dent, the white knight. And that scene that you were talking about, the confrontation, he's like, what if I give you a show? Yeah. He, he legitimately thinks that's going to work because it's worked with everybody else, but no, some people are better than that. And I, and I like that, that aspect about the Dick Goodwin character 
because some people have the morals to turn down something like really appealing. It it would be difficult to turn that down to get the fame and the, and the wealth that comes along with it. But he knows, no, this is wrong. So I'm not going to do that. Sure. And not the, the, the best part about that is nothing that we've seen so far in the movie has made us believe that Dick would accept it, but the producer doesn't know him that well, but we've right. seen him to be persistent and thorough. And we know he's not going to commit to bribery. Whereas when we first meet Charles Van Dorian, we know he's well-intentioned, but he also still gives in. Uh, but we, we haven't spent two out almost two hours with this guy. So right. gosh, there's some really, I mentioned that my favorite moment in the movie being where he fake ties his shoe to get the attention, mm-hmm. um, which I think is just profound and speaks to a lot of, ways that people interact with fame what again subtle but not so subtle way to put it like robert redford is very directly showing like he's a little in your face about it but i'd much rather this than many other different ways to show that fame is getting to him right you Uh, could have you could have had him say like i love the fame or wow this feels good or something like that but it's I love the show, yeah. not tell of it. Yeah, I agree. Right. You, you, yeah. Show, not tell is probably the best way to put it. You know, cause you could have had it just happen in a side conversation, you know, with the father or something like that. Like, why'd you keep doing it? Because everybody loves me. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's definitely Stemple's part of Stemple's motivation as well. A lesser movie probably would have done that. Yeah, I agree. There, there's also, I mean, the man, the moments where like they turn off the fan in the booth to show, like, I love seeing the behind the scenes production of the stuff that we all know happens. Like they shut off the fan in the booth to make it herb sweat. Mm-hmm to kind of build up the drama and the intensity and, and it's kind of seeing the, you know, Van Doren doesn't know that he's in a rigged game until the final question. Uh, and you see him kind of be put on the spot and he knows the answer and he knows it quickly in the interview, uh, but he knows something fishy. So he has to make a moral decision, not a knowledge decision. Right. And you can also see Stemple, you know, kind of contemplating, am I going to take the dive or am I going to stick it to the man? That was another thing that bugged me because it gave you that whole that whole drawn out thing where Stemple's trying to decide whether or not he's going to dive or whether he's going to, like you said, stick to the man. Um, but then later you find out that he was being given the answers the whole time or that he was cheating the whole time. Which floored me the first time I watched it. It kind of takes away well, from it for me. Well, because he's, he's also dealing with a moral question, not so much an intellectual. So... Yeah, I, I could see what you're saying, but uh, just rewatching it, it's so obvious from the very beginning, they're trying to tell you that he's taking answers and like, they're not trying to hide it. They're not trying to be sneaky about it. It's just, I, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention to it just because I remember the moment where he's in the Goodwin's in the elevator about to leave just because I got the answers too. No. Like, what? Like, I remember that first time just being like, oh, like this floored me. Like I, th- I thought that they were just, you know, that initial, like, we're going to get, we're going to tell you to Marty, like. But you know, like, first time I watched this was in high school, I was probably like three quarters paying attention. Yeah, that's a great scene. As the scene at the dad's birthday party, Van Doren's father's birthday party, so heartbreaking. And again, in a very show don't tell type of way, because we're experiencing that scene from Goodwin's perspective, and we see how you know the everybody sitting through to listen to Mark Van Doren give his painfully boring, painfully academic poem. Yeah. And everybody's just getting, and everybody just wants to talk about the show. Charlie yeah. because I, w- I would want to talk about that, but but just seeing the way that his father reacts to him is is just it's just heartbreaking because it's it's, it's almost like who's the villain in this movie? I think, Obviously the producers. Yeah, I think I think the system uh, is is the villain, and it's corrupting the people who should be our quote unquote heroes of Turo right. and Fines. I think there's only one character that we're supposed to root for. Oh, and it's Dick. Dick. Yeah. 
but like he's the only character we're supposed to root for in a pretty intentional, pretty deliberate way. But like I would I think that Mark Van Doren is just as responsible for Charlie's actions in a lot of ways. Uh, and because you can see Charlie wants to tell his dad, but he just doesn't. Charlie's big motivation to continue going is to get his father to for for approval, but also he likes the public attention. So every time I watch it, it just makes me feel like I mean, Charles Van Doren's got some daddy issues. But yeah, <laughs> at, at least as portrayed in the movie. But there's some really interesting sins of the father kind of thing going there. I think the only weakness to this movie is I think once the trial starts, the movie kind of slows down a little bit. Yeah, I was going to mention that, too. Because last time I was last time I was on, we talked about Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, and we're like, oh great, there's a there's a trial, there's courtroom scenes. I don't like courtroom scenes most of the time, but it worked there. Here, I was like, this is just the typical courtroom stuff that always bores me. Yeah, the only reason that it exists is to give Van Doren a little bit redemption, to let him have his his moment where he comes back in to the picture and confesses when he didn't have to yeah that's the only reason that exists other than that i could see it just being a a title card at the end you know they went to court and these are all the consequences of things that happened like that's the only reason it exists but it's just it's it's kind of long especially when the movie has not really been about that it's about discovering and and then confronting and also about how how van doren and herb stemple kind of get in into that system. I just, that's my only weakness with the movie. That's why I give this a four and a half instead of a five out of five stars. Um, and that's why it's probably closer to 90 as opposed to a little higher. But also I, I just don't know, like this is a very fun movie. Like uh, this is a very good movie. I would say, I don't know how often I just want to sit down and pop in quiz show though. I mean like semi-frequently, but like this isn't something like the nice guys where I want to watch it over and over and over again or, or anything like that. But there, there is one line that, Man, just floors me every time I watch this movie. Do you know which line I'm talking about? No. Uh, it's Herb's wife. She says, uh, you should worship the ground I walk on after my fa- what my family did to you. And he says, you want to be worshipped? Go to India and moo. <laughs> <laughs> it just floors me every time. It's it's in like the first like five minutes of the movie. That, oh my. It's the first time we meet his wife. <laughs> he won the playground insults right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, And it's like this movie is never like it's not deliberately a funny movie no like, that and movie gets me every time there's one there is one line that i wrote down that said uh i don't remember the context of this at all but i wrote it down and it said they're called indians because some white guy was lost and i like i like that line <laughs> yeah th- yeah that was good it's when he's uh it's when he's talking to his son he's quizzing him oh that's right i only have one more note about this movie and it's that i love that the movie tries to play in the this is really a victimless crime so we shouldn't care that much but it's it's almost like too little too late. Yeah. Why save this for the very end of the movie? Why not try to convince Charles when he first, you know, when he first realizes and accepts the, you know, essentially taking the answers? Why not like try to be convincing them like you're not doing anything wrong? Who are you who are you hurting by doing this? And of course he's wrong because it's the way the rules are set up and all that. But like it, this is a victimless crime. I mean, I guess other than the other contestants on the show. Yeah. And I guess he's technically stealing money with help from the the producers. But it's tr- trying to talk about how just Americans, I guess, or just people in general, brush things to the side in the name of entertainment. Like you were you talked about wrestling earlier. People watch wrestling, even though we know it's staged. It's the same thing. Like if people just naturally won and lost this game, people wouldn't be as invested. But since it was manipulated and 
Rafe finds is charismatic and handsome and all that. People are into it. People are, <laughs> that's the other thing. I can't imagine like these days, the whole country getting into a game show, but in the, in the fifties, um, he's basically a celebrity and that's what they're doing it for. It's just talking about people's like what they'll do in the name of entertainment. I to some extent agree with you, but at the same time, like, I mean, everybody know who knows who Ken from Jeopardy is. He definitely became a celebrity. Uh, I think I think a lot of game shows now are not necessarily focused on individuals, but groups or, you know, it's definitely not that like you have a chance to continue. You know, like if you're on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, like when you mil- win the million dollars, that's it. You go home. Like there's not like right. a, come back and play next week and try to keep going. And like, you know, even like Wheel of Fortune, like I don't think they have like, all right, now you're now you're on next week. Like Jeopardy is really, the I think, the only game show i mean family feud but again you're talking a family not yeah not an individual so i can't think of any others besides jeopardy but i think if i was to watch a movie with a game show it would, it would be either uh some slumdog millionaire or magnolia those two okay, come and to I've mind immediately before those. quiz show even so. though that's the one they're both excellent magnolia is my favorite pta the last thing uh, the one last scene i wanted to point out before we move on is i love the scene where uh Hank Azaria and the the main producer guy, they're trying to lie to Dick's face in their office and be like, yeah, nothing's going on. What are you talking about? And then he throws out the Jews and Gentile line and then they just go like stone face like, oh, he knows. Like, that's a great scene. I, I love that one. I just wanted to give it a shout out. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Uh, I, I don't I don't remember where or when, but the uh, yeah, the whole like Herb says that they always get a Jew uh, to go relatively far then they get a gentile to go like way farther yeah and he's like the thing is i did this i did the tracking and he's right and yeah. i was like <gasps> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah uh robbie see yourself watching this one in the future no unfortunately i want i thought i was gonna like it going in but i just didn't as much as i wanted to yeah i mean i don't have the experience with magnolia or with slumdog millionaire i don't know that there's a game show movie that i like better um uh, obviously i will continue to watch this movie uh and i am all i'm gonna say this movie's a go i'm gonna put it in my criterion collection what are you doing with it uh it's an easy no for me like like i said it's a good movie i see why people like it but it's just not one that i'm gonna be coming back to and i don't think it's like any landmark or anything that we need to be pointing out yeah i mean i don't i don't know that this movie is necessarily like influential in the filmmaking world but i think this is a story worth telling i think that this uh if not just to watch the moral struggle of these characters and, and how they react and that consequences, there are consequences for your actions. And yeah, I, I, I 100% think this is a goat. And again, I, I, I think you put this in like 1996 instead of 1994, which like who would have known, but if, if this happened to come yes. out in a different year, um, I think this could have easily been a best picture. That's fair. Great. Well, uh, next time on goats, we're going to be talking about singing in the rain, which is Dicer's favorite movie of all time. And Arsenic and Old Lace, so some older theatrical style, a little bit of music. So we're definitely getting back to some of the classics, classics. But we'll talk about those next month on Goats. Uh, before we move on, Robert, um, normally we ask the question of what's your favorite of the movies that we've done for Goats. But you had the suggestion, since this is the start of a new year, how about we just run down uh, our list of our favorite Goats. Which, by the way, you can find each of these on our Letterboxd pages. So uh, however you want to do it, top to bottom, yeah. bottom to top. This is a ranking. You always go bottom to top. So yeah, there's we've done 16 so far. I'll go 16 to 1. 
And if you want to hear my actual thoughts on these, go back and listen to the episodes. I'm just going to say the title and the number and then go to the next one. 16, Nightmare Before Christmas. 15, Seven Samurai. 14, Rebel Without a Cause. 13, His Girl Friday. 12, Halloween. 11, Dr. Strangelove. 10, The Birds. 9, Quiz Show. 8, Goldfinger. 7, Citizen Kane. 6, Dead Poet Society. 5, L.A. Confidential. 4, Rocky. 3, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. 2, Rope. And number one, Miracle on 34th Street. Nice. Yeah, I would go, geez, Letterbox keeps on wanting to crash on me. Uh, 16, I have The Birds. 15, Rebel Without a Cause. 14, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. 13, Citizen Kane. 12, Rocky. 11, His Girl Friday. 10, Doctor Strange Love. 9, Dead Poets Society. 8, Halloween. 7, Miracle on 34th Street. 6, Goldfinger. 5, Quiz Show. Uh, four Seven Samurai, three The Night Before Christmas, two Rope, and one LA Confidential. So I think uh, consensus is that since we both have Rope at number two, that is so far our collective favorite on this list. Yeah, I was going to say that's the only one that we have matching. Well, that's the only one we have matching, and that's like a high up you know, one too. We both one we both have very high. So. Yeah, but you know, I think I think a lot of these are going to shift over time because you know most a lot of these are first watches for one of us. So. You know, give me more time with Miracle on 34th Street. And honestly, the more I think about His Girl Friday, like give me another rewatch of His Girl Friday. But it won't be another number one for me, but I'm sure it'll be higher. It's increased in your estimation. I just I like thinking back on it. Yeah. Um, So and I bought the Criterion for Black Friday. So I'm excited to dig into that at some point. So there we go. That's uh, that's the goats uh, so far. And like I said, Singing in the Rain, Arsenic and Old Lace next month. Uh, should be a lot of fun but uh, let's move on to the b plot this is from blake's episode because blake had the uh, when we were talking about coming to america he said what's a movie sequel that comes out i think he said 30 years after the original and is actually good and there's so few examples of that Um, i decided to to reduce the years but the b plot for this week is what is a sequel to a movie that came out 15 or more years later that is actually good Um, The criterion for this is there has to be no theatrical releases in between. So I I put that in there because something like, uh, you know, Dumb and Dumber, um, there was that like straight to video prequel movie with nobody from the original involved. And there was Dumb and Dumber 2. But I don't think anybody would say Dumb and Dumber 2 is a good movie. I also wanted to clarify this does not have to be like number one to number two, like coming to America is this could be three to four or seven to eight. This could be anything like that. Uh, And I also decided to clarify um, that uh, something like Jay and silent Bob could count uh, for strikes back and then reboot um, since they're the stars, even though they appear in others, Jay and silent Bob is not necessarily a sequel to clerks, but Jay and silent Bob reboot is for sure a sequel to, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Uh, or And you can't do something like Terminator 2 to Dark Fate since they're calling it a direct sequel to that even though there are other movies because there are other movies. Or same with Halloween. You can't say because the new Halloween is a direct sequel to the first Halloween because there was a lot of movies in between. That's, uh, that's kind of a little bit more specifics to kind of put some parameters on this. But uh, Robert, we're just going to get the one out of the way. This, this easily is Blade Runner 2049. Easily, right? Yeah, anytime someone talks about decades or years later sequels blade runner 2049 is always the first one that comes to my mind can i give a funny little anecdote about blade runner 2049 sure yeah i just bought the officer k pop i found it for three bucks at the mall and my wife lets me have some pops out in the living room so i have my lord of the rings are out there and then she allows the harry potter because she loves harry potter even more than i do 
and I have Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling from La La Land. I have those two, and she I likes. Didn't even know those. Yeah, I have those, and they're allowed in the living room too because it's a couple, and and she likes the movie as well. So when I bought the the other Ryan Gosling one, The Officer K, I told her I'm going to sneak it next to Seb from La La Land. She noticed, uh, told me to put it in the other room, and I put it right back next to Seb, and she hasn't noticed that it's still there. So uh, I'm going to see how long this lasts. There's my there's my little anecdote. Keep it or cut it if you want. I don't care. No, I'll keep it because that's fun. I, I also had the Officer K-pop because uh, um, I bought him. He was like four bucks like not too long after the movie came out um because it was a black friday sale at think geek and i was already buying other stuff and so i just included him in the order because i really love that movie and i think k is a very compelling and interesting character yeah but he's definitely that one that i have to point out to they're like who's that supposed to be and it's like it's just because a- i don't i don't buy a ton of them and if i do they're like i have jewels from pulp fiction that's about the other normal one but i have like mm-hmm. burt macklin and little sebastian and reptar and right pickle rick and things like that you know things that people could see and notice not yeah. just plain white dude in a coat with a gun but uh, I have in our living room, I have a planter shelf way up high. Our Funko Pops live up there. Nice. Uh, so, yeah. So Blade Runner 2049 is going to be our answer for this. For this, right? Yeah, yeah. It's for sure mine. And I know you really like the movie now. You didn't the first time you saw it. Uh, no, I've seen it twice now. We talked about this also on that same episode. I didn't like it the first time. And I, I love it now. And that's why I was like, I got to get this, this pop. Do you like it better than the original? Yeah, I only saw the original once. It didn't grab me like... 2049 grabbed me enough like I was like there's something here maybe I'm just not getting it and that's why when I watched it again I was like yeah it all clicked but I don't think that would happen with the original no I've seen them probably equal times and I definitely prefer 2049 all right so what's another example at least 15 years between this one surprised me when I was just looking through these like the possible answers I like wasn't even on my radar and that's Jumanji uh, Welcome to the Jungle. Is that? Oh, I didn't even think of that. Is that the the first sequel? Yeah, um, that's an excellent that's an excellent pick. I mean, there yeah. was kind of that like Zathura, which was I mean, but it wasn't a sequel. It was essentially just a remake, but in space. I didn't even um, know that had anything to do with Jumanji. No, it's it's just the same story. It's gotcha. just it it's not in that universe. But uh, I didn't see it. But I didn't even think about that. That's a, which like why didn't I think about that? That's an excellent yeah, I don't pick. Know. Yeah, the first um, one's good. The second one's really good. Uh, I, I mean, I rewatched the first one, and it's only nostalgia good for me. Oh, really? Um, I don't. I don't think it's a very good movie at all. I haven't um, seen it since I was a kid, so maybe I couldn't ooh, tell you. Maybe ooh. it's just nostalgia. I mean, Robin Williams is great, but it's it's nostalgia good, and that's about it. I don't uh, remember but, a ton about it. I just remember. <laughs> Robin Williams coming out and be like, I've never shaved before. And then like animals running all over the place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's lots of stuff that you'll remember as you rewatch it, but I promise you it's not as good as you remember it. Uh, And, uh, but welcome to the jungle is a great movie. Yeah. A good, I didn't even think about that one. Why don't you give a couple? Uh, Cause you have more than me. So I wrote this one down, um, not knowing, cause I haven't seen it obviously, but like something that could qualify here. I think you could say Rocky Balboa, uh, because there's a 16 year gap between Rocky five and Rocky Balboa, but, and I was going to ask if you had seen it, but you haven't. No. So, but I've so heard the same thing, that it's good. Yeah, I've heard it's good. Uh, definitely better than Rocky Five. And so, I mean, I'm going to play fast and loose with a lot of these yeah. on the definition of good. And so I'll give the example that we were talking about early earlier, and that's that The Godfather Part 3. There's a 16-year gap here. And, like, I don't love The Godfather 3, but if I'm going to say this is a good or a not good movie, I'm going to say it's a good movie. Again, probably stretching it. Um, I don't think it's as bad as people say it is. 
there's definitely some things that are bad about it and it's definitely nowhere near the quality of the first two but i I still think if we're just saying what's a good movie yeah you know that it would qualify yeah i had split i don't think split is that great but i i think it's good there were a few horror movies that came out around the same time like split and it and uh get out i don't i think split is like on the lower end of that but it's yeah, 16 I, years after after Unbreakable, which is also very good. But yeah, it's solid. I think it definitely deserves mentioning here. Yep, I definitely had it on my list. Um, because I, I think Split's like on the low side of liked it for me. Yeah. Um, obviously, Unbreakable is the best of that trilogy for me. But mm-hmm. uh, but I, re- I really like Glass. Glass is so okay. I would say, yeah. I would say Split's my least favorite of these three. But I think it's, it's good enough that I would say, yeah, no, this is a good movie. And it's kind of cheating because it's not really a sequel. But... Well, it's a sequel. Yeah, I I think it's it's definitely a sequel. It takes place in the same universe and it sets up a sequel to both of them. All right, um, we're gonna go with Doctor Sleep. This is a thirty nine okay. year gap between The Shining and Doctor Sleep. Um, I love both of these movies. Actually, I think I typically have said that it's either The Shining or Alien is my favorite horror movie of all time. Well, when Cabin in the Woods. Probably actually, but uh, I think I prefer Doctor Sleep over The Shining. But I probably need to rewatch Doctor Sleep before I officially make that statement. Yeah, I had Doctor Sleep as well. It was my last one because it like it's a mixture between a sequel to the movie and an adaptation of the book, which is very different. Like the book, The Shining book and the movie end very differently, and this one kind of follows the Doctor Sleep book supposedly. Right. Um, but well, yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely really really good. But it's also not a sequel to either the movie or the book. It's exactly, a sequel right. to both. Because in the book, the Overlook Hotel burns down. Right. In, in The Shining. So in the book, Dr. Sleep, there's no Overlook Hotel. And that's the whole third act of the movie, right? Is that they're right. at the right. hotel. Right. I got that. I got this one at this past Black Friday as well, and I haven't rewatched it yet. But Oh, I, I picked it up right when it came out because I really wanted to rewatch it, especially because the director's cut is 30 minutes longer and I really want to watch that director's cut. So Yeah, I got to see the director's cut. It's just three hours, so it's daunting. And I own both the books. I would like to read them at some point. How many do you have left? One. The other two are 13 and 14 year gaps. Oh, I don't have either of those. So, um, okay, well, let's talk about one that we talked about earlier. Are we going to count The Force Awakens? Oh, um, I technically... Bec- <laughs> Just because of how weirdly Star Wars comes out, it is a sequel to Revenge of the Sith, and that would only be 10 years later, but it's a direct sequel to Return of the Jedi, which is 30 or whatever years later. Um, yeah. So I'm so, not going to say you're wrong. Right. I think I think we just need to put an asterisk on this, uh, at least for The Force Awakens, um, 32 years released after Return of the Jedi. So I think we just need to put an asterisk on that because there was the prequels between, but prequels aren't a sequel to the original trilogy. So we'll put an asterisk on The Force Awakens, but look, I'm also going to throw in The Phantom Menace. Uh, This is 16 years after Return of the Jedi. And again, this is me playing fast and loose with the definition of good. Um, I certainly don't love The Phantom Menace. I think it's uh, good. I would I would say there's only two Star Wars movies that I don't think are good. Um, Solo and Rise of Skywalker. So, you know, I would say that I... Phantom Menace is more good than the not. So, and that's yeah. 16 years. So it fits the bill. And there's definitely no theatrical releases between. No. So that one doesn't need an asterisk. Well, because it's a prequel. Well, I say, or unless because it's a prequel. <laughs> right. My last one is Mad Max Fury Road. I never see, I've never seen any of the other Mad Max movies. Yeah. Uh, I have Mad Max Fury Road as well. This is a 20 year gap after the Road Warrior, um, which Road Warrior is the only one that I haven't seen, but, uh, uh, or not, uh, beyond thunderdome but yep 
this is this is awesome for sure worth saying do you want me to go with my 13 and 14 year gaps no let me finish out the ones that we have here go for it so did you not like bill and ted face the music i still haven't seen any bill and ted movies because the first two left streaming before i was able to catch up for the new one yeah i would say i like bill and ted face the music just as much as i like the first one uh and bogus journey is not great but if you understand that, then it's that it's probably good. Um, but I, I personally think I really loved Face the Music. That's a 29 year gap from Bogus Journey to Face the Music, which really struck me because it came out in 1991. 1991 still feels like you know, even though I was that was just before I was born and I'm about to turn 26. Like it's it still was just weird because like it just doesn't feel like 29 years. And saying I knew it was long, but 29 years is a lot. I'll also throw Rainbow in there. That's a 20-year gap between Rainbow 3 and Rainbow. I, I don't love Rainbow, but I like Rainbow. Um, I, I really don't like Rainbow 3, and I don't like Last Blood. Rainbow 2 is better than people give it credit for, but either way, 4 is pretty good. Um, would definitely consider that. Movies. I might just watch 1 and 2 and stop. Okay. Definitely don't check out 5, and definitely skip 3. But if you want to watch 4, that would be okay. See, like that kind of action franchise just kind of turns me off, like... I, I'm okay with watching the first Die Hard or the first Rambo or stuff like that. But once they get to three, four, five, six, I'm just like, did you really have to keep going? I mean, I'm going to say two things here. Uh, one is that First Blood is very different than the rest of the Rambo movies. Because after First Blood is very much just action, Stallone in, in an action role. First Blood has a lot of social commentary uh, about things. It's, it is at some points very hard to watch. Uh, it is just as much of a struggle of this guy's PTSD as it is hmm. lots of other things. But there's a lot of like the way that the U.S. treated Vietnam soldiers. It's a very different movie than the rest of the franchises. Also, how dare you say that about the Die Hard franchise? Because I really love three and four. Obviously, Die Hard is the best, but I think Die Hard with a Vengeance is my favorite. It's not that way in my rankings because I don't even have with a Vengeance in my top 100 right now. But like, I think I need to add it and put it. Because I bumped down Die Hard quite a bit, actually, recently, just because it's good, but I think I just overhype it. I think a lot of people overhype it. It's really good. I had it at, like, number 10 of all time for me. Oh, wow. Uh, I, bumped, I bumped it down to, like, 50. That seems more fitting. But, like, <laughs> I love watching Die Hard with a Vengeance. See, that's my so. thing, is, like, I watched Die Hard, thought it was great. I was like, okay, everyone, everyone's right. Then I watched Die Hard 2, I'm like, okay, this is just nonsense and I just have no desire anymore to finish out the franchise. Do me a favor, watch Die Hard with a Vengeance, but then watch the alternate ending. If they would have gone with the alternate ending, it would for sure be my favorite in the franchise. I'll add it like low on the list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. And I'll give my other two. Um, I have Super Troopers here. Uh, Super Troopers 2 came out 17 years after the first one. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't love either of these two movies, but they're enjoyable for what they are. And I only saw the second one once in theaters, but it's just on my never-ending list of movies to rewatch. Um, but I remember, I remember having a good time. Never seen either of those. Yeah, um, and uh, this is the one that I think might surprise you. I'm going to put Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull oh. here. The 19-year gap. Um, I really don't think this movie is as bad as everybody thinks it is. Uh, it's been probably. Oof, it's been since high school since I've seen it, so it. But I've seen it probably three or four times. I don't love it. I don't I actually don't currently own it, and I don't know that I plan on buying it. Um, I only own Raiders and Last Crusade, and I hate Temple of Doom. I hate Temple of Doom so bad. But uh, but I I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is is decent. So I, I don't think it deserves all the crap that it gets, except for surviving a nuke in a refrigerator. That 
is mm-hmm. all the crap. But I, I don't hate Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So there we go. What are your what are your two that don't quite count? As for Indiana Jones, I've only ever seen the first three, and I think they're fine. And I've never gone on to watch the third one. I actually, my parents took me to see that at the drive-in when I was a kid, and I fell asleep. So <laughs> that's that's my whole Indiana Jones four. My two that don't count are Jurassic World, which is fourteen years after Jurassic Park three. Yeah. Um, and I think the first Jurassic World is solid, like good enough to be called good. And Finding Dory, which is thirteen years later. And Finding Dory is much better than people give it credit for. I agree with that sentiment as well. I didn't see it until probably a year ago. I really liked it. I really did. And yeah, I I, I looked up Jurassic World as well. There were several that just missed the list. or There were a lot of good 10-year-later movies, but 15, 20s when you're pushing it. Yeah, and I, I think the only, fr- the only one that I could come up with that I didn't include was Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Oh, and Dumb and Dumber 2. Um, yeah. But those are neither, neither of those are good movies to me, so um, I didn't include them on the list. I couldn't I couldn't think of any other ones at all. So I, there was some that I wanted to be true. Um, there was some that I wanted to be fifteen years apart, like Borat two. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought I thought maybe The Hobbit might have been, but I still probably wouldn't have put it. It's because, pretty cool anyway. But also the first one's bad. <laughs> the first one's the best anyway. Great. Well, now that we're done with the B plot, uh, let's move on to the spinoff. Robert, what's that one thing in pop culture that you want to tell everybody to watch or to avoid? I don't really have anything great for this week. Do you want to do a movie or a different movie or a book? Are any of them warns or are they all recommends? They're all like the books are recommend. The movies are like half recommends. I want the movie that you like the least out of the two. <laughs> okay. So, like, Cause, cause, like nobody ever warns anything on this portion of the show. Okay, perfect. Like, I want people to warn stuff more. <laughs> sure. So this is yeah, in between recommended warn. Um, and it's the Joaquin Phoenix Casey Affleck documentary, fake documentary. I'm still here. I don't know why I decided to watch this, but it was on my watch list on Amazon Prime. And I think it was just because it was like the shortest thing that I could get to that night. It has a lot of interesting stuff going on. And it's a very interesting experiment, the way that Joaquin played this version of himself in public for like two years, um, pretending that he was quitting acting to become a hip hop star. And the way Casey Affleck directed this, I guess, mockumentary on it. it has a lot of good stuff to say about fame and uh, what we expect of our celebrities. But at the same time, you could have cut, they could have cut out 20 to 30 minutes of this movie that is just crap of Joaquin Phoenix yelling obscenities, snorting cocaine, smoking, and getting with um, sex workers that just didn't need to be in there. That just made it tough to watch at points. But if you want to sit through something, if you're in the mood to be like, to sit through some crap, but also have some actual legitimate stuff to think about, I'm still here. The Joaquin Phoenix documentary it's a mediocre watch <laughs> i have no interest in watching that one never have so if 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 you were debating on it robert is saying check it out i don't think i will be though yeah but you, i will be checking out feels good man for sure yes so. yes definitely watch that that one's a full full throw to recommend uh i'm gonna talk about 50 first dates uh and here's why nice. is because i haven't i haven't really been talking about i haven't really been watching a lot much um, I've been playing a lot of PlayStation 2 games, and so I just finished playing Revenge of the Sith. And I've been watching a lot of TV, which I just I try not to talk about TV stuff until the TV episodes. Yeah. Um, and so I'll talk about them all all later. I, my wife and I rewatched Fifty First Dates, and 
I haven't seen this movie in probably 10 years. Um, I remember really liking it because I was in middle school or something when it came out. And there's definitely some middle school humor in here. Um, but there's also like a decent amount of charm. I think that Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore have good chemistry. Yeah. I think this story and this premise is really interesting. Um, there's some very funny moments in this. I mean, there's definitely some middle school, middle school, middle school humor in this, but there's also some good humor in this uh, too. It has a very positive message. Um, Adam Sandler is at the end, a very likable guy. There are some things that I thought were different. And there's definitely some things that don't quite hold up in terms of like, you know, social settings, things like that. Like there's definitely some comments that they make that seem very homophobic or things like that. Yeah. There's some stuff that don't quite hold up. Um, But I think, I think ultimately they have good chemistry. Um, I think I would like this movie a lot more if it was anybody besides Adam Sandler in the role. Really? I I, I do. uh, Because I think this movie is probably 50, 50, 50 comedy drama. Um, I think this movie could afford to go like 70 or 80%. Um, like just let the Rob Schneider character be the comedic relief and let your Adam Sandler character be a little bit more romantic. Also, like I was talking with my wife cause I have to ask her for her perspectives on guys. Cause like, look, I'm a guy, I know Ryan Gosling is beautiful mm-hmm. and, and I'm okay saying that, but like I looked at her, I'm like, okay, so we're supposed to believe that Adam Sandler is getting these girls who are, these girls are clearly 10 out of 10. Is Adam Sandler attractive enough to live this player lifestyle? And she's like, not at all. Only in Uncut Gems. <laughs> no, no he's I'm disgusting joking. in Uncut Gems. I'm joking. Anyway, so like, I think you need somebody a little bit more believable to be that player. And I think this movie could stand to go a little bit more on the dramatic side. So I, I gave it like a four out of five stars. I thought it was, it was good. It made me laugh quite a bit. There's some good jokes in here. Like I said, there's, there's a good message. I like 51st Dates. I like it because it has the joke about like the Red Sox finally winning the World Series. So I always appreciate that. <laughs> um, it's Sean Astin's first movie after Lord of the Rings and like the opposite body type. Um, <laughs> and But I like to think about what if Drew Barrymore like woke up and just didn't even glance at her nightstand or like the TV. Just was like, what is going on? And just like isn't able to put the movie in one morning. And <laughs> Yeah, I like. There's a lot of things I I think about, you know, that can turn on, you know, I call it Samson's brain, something something like that. But gosh, the other thing about this movie is, holy crap, Adam Sandler's such an unlikable character in the first like 20 minutes of this movie because like they do the whole like he's a player and like cool, like it's in a fun witty way. Like we've already established that no, he couldn't actually do this, but like he's not necessarily an unlikable guy at this point. I mean. I'm not rooting for him to lie to a bunch of women, but I don't, I don't think that makes him a monster, but he confesses later to one of the girls. He's like, I'm not drunk and you're not either because your drink doesn't have alcohol in it because I ordered a drink with no alcohol in it. So that you would think you're drunk, but not fall asleep and still be able to have sex with me later. Mm. It's like, Holy crap. <laughs> he's terrible. So, so he's making her unintentionally do promising young woman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Well, on that note, <laughs> that's a wrap. Uh, quick, reminds, quick, quick reminder, this hip-hop writer's room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. Uh, or if you're interested, in, or you can search Studio DNA in your podcast player fee. If you're interested in writing for sifpop.com, uh, or you want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot, then you can always email us at writersroom at sifpop.com. The 
uh, email should be in your episode description right there. Uh, and if you want to support the show, help us the cost we pay for pay for out of Venmo, pay for out of pocket, such as fees, equipment, or rentals. You can Venmo me at Dwight Castle, and you know the rest. Uh, find us on Letterboxd. Look at our goats list. Look at lots of things at Dwight Castle on Letterboxd. At Dwight Castle on Twitter. Robert, what about you? Uh, at underscore Rob's thoughts on Twitter. I don't know what my Letterboxd is. It's just Robert Buffard. So yeah, find me there if you want sweet no obligation well uh, i can't make you do anything <laughs> great well next uh next month like i said we're talking about uh arsenic and old lace and singing in the rain i'm pretty sure both of those you can find on hbo max um so if you're interested in, in getting ahead of the curve checking those out uh next week i'm talking about the mighty ducks trilogy with austin uh and a hip-hop writer austin as well as producer phil very excited about that um, so going to be chatting some Mighty Ducks, going to be chatting lots of things uh, TV related. And uh, gosh, I'm, I'm so excited for that. So I guess I, I guess just wait in anticipation as I will be. Uh, but in the meantime, Robert, you know, we got to get back to the writer's room. Speaking of Borat, though, on Sif Pop, they called it the most overrated movie of the year. You should check out the live video stream because I was yelling at them in the comments. Oh, my gosh. I was so mad. I was livid because Ben went on and said that the most over, uh, overrated movie of the year is Borat 2. And I immediately comment in all caps. I'm like, boo this man. <laughs> yeah. The, the point isn't for this one to be funny. And the point isn't for it to have a lasting effect. It did what it needed to do for this year. And like yeah. had that good political commentary, and then it also had some pretty funny moments. It, it wasn't the right. first one, but it did its job perfectly. It shouldn't win any awards, and no, I, that no. was part of their argument. It shouldn't win any awards, but I really had a good time, and yeah. I can't think of a time that I laughed more in the last year at a movie than when Borat makes his remarks about going to the synagogue. <laughs> like that was the most out of left field smacking in the face. I was not expecting that at all like spit out your drink <laughs> whole yeah so um but that yeah i had i had my friends from college over we had pizza wings and beer like that's the perfect movie to just hang out and do that you know well and so um jake jake uh one of the other writer jake on Sip pop another writer on Sip pop jake uh was was with me in the comments and at the very beginning they said what's the best moment of the year and dicer said the last dance and uh Jake said, I just love all the comments uh, or, or all the memes from it. And so when Ben said that the most overrated movie of the year is Soul, I put Ben, personally. Soul is very overrated, Dicer. And I took that personally. <laughs> That's a good one. Man, I was livid. Because then the next comment was, what's the most underrated movie of the year? I'm like, well, I guess I'm picking Borat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wasn't listening live, but listening like the next couple days, I was like, I was getting worked up and I wanted to yell at all three of them just like nonchalantly like, yeah, Borat was probably the most, I was like, are you kidding me? I almost DM'd you on either Slack or Twitter to be like, hop on the Sip Pop live stream, you gotta defend Borat with me. (laughs) 